as Casper's two goals helped the Danes prevail. The Dutch had a man-sent off to the Czech's delict, leaving the Oranje unable to deal with their holesh. The Battle of the Heavyweights saw Big Rom defeat Big Ron with a kind word, a cuddle and a hug in the most sedate encounter of the round of 16. We said our au revoirs to the French as a star was born midsummer. A sterling for Muller's thoughts as Kane's performance brought the English pain and gain. Sweden saw their efforts go down the drain as Shevchenko and the Ukraine remain. Many an upset has left fantasy managers to fret, with those who have used their wildcards now under threat. But don't sweat, this does an opportunity represent for those ready to brave further torment. The Art of Fantasy podcast is here to help you these problems and others circumvent. Welcome to the podcast everyone. Many a fantasy team has been left in tatters after a round of 16 that saw major upsets. Netherlands, Portugal, France and Germany have now been eliminated. Now we look forward to the quarterfinals and examine what lies ahead. The first game of the round sees the best attack remaining in the tournament against the worst defence as Spain take on Switzerland. Switzerland have demonstrated a vulnerability in defence, conceding 8 goals so far. And their underlying statistics bear that out with the second worst shot attempts conceded of all teams and a non-penalty XG conceded which is on par with Wales and only better than Croatia and North Macedonia. But it's not like Spain are a watertight defence despite conceding just 4 goals. They've conceded 12 big chances in the tournament which comes out to 3 big chances conceded per game and has actually won more than the Swiss, pointing to their own soft underbelly. Spain have a lot of possession of the ball, which reduces the volume of their defensive actions. In spite of this, they have a vulnerability up the gut and have struggled to control the game by keeping hold of the ball for the entire 90 minutes. Part of this can be attributed to Luis Enrique ringing the changes at around 70 minutes every game. He seems to switch an attacker and bring on Pau Torres or Eric Garcia for the other, with a fullback or midfielder also being replaced at times. These subs are a double-edged sword. On the one hand, I completely understand why he's doing it. After the club season we've just had, you can't fault a coach for trying to keep his players fit and sharp for the latter stages of a tournament. But at the same time, making three or four subs at once messes with the rhythm of a team and causes them to lose control if only for a few minutes, like we saw against Croatia. Spain have a very deep squad and it is only right Enrique try and use it to get an advantage with the 5-sub rule. But they always seem to concede immediately after the subs are made. And this isn't the Spain team from 2012. They struggle to control the game for 90 minutes anyway. But that old team, they had a solid spine of players like P.K., Ramos and Casillas who could bail them out if and when they conceded big chances. But the same can't be said of this team. So there should be goals in this. Morata and Sarabia are my top two picks for Spain. They're getting a good volume and quality of chance. 
Despite his profligacy in front of goal, Morata is the player most likely to score for La Furia Roja with the highest goal attempts, shots in the box, shots on target and big chances of all forwards at Euro 2020. He missed a really good chance again this time, a header at the back post, but took his goal really well. It wasn't easy the chance he scored from. But it was interesting because it really highlighted his technical proficiency. It was a really nice touch and a very intricate finish over the goalkeeper and it showed that despite his usual wastefulness in front of goal there is a player with talent and ability there the other thing i like about morata as a fantasy asset is he's nailed and he's likely to play 90 minutes and 120 minutes if the game goes to extra time it was also really clear to see during extra time that he keeps running in behind for the entirety of the match he doesn't get tired he has crazy stamina and endurance and even if he misses chances what i like about him is he doesn't hide he keeps asking for the ball he keeps trying to make runs in behind he keeps trying to get shots off he keeps putting himself in positions to be able to score oh yeah fluff his chances looking at the average positions from los toros's last game sarabia was playing very central and ahead of morata Ferran Torres is someone I tipped on the very first episode of this podcast. Against Croatia, he seemed to take up more of a creative role. Sarabia had 3 shots, one less than Morata, all in the box, one of which was a big chance. Ferran had just the one shot, which was a big chance and he did score from it. It's a real coin flip between the two. The good thing this week is we should get the Spanish team sheet as it's the first game. So that may assist with our decision making process. If you wanted to go with a Spanish defender, Cesar Aspilicueta would be my pick. He had two shots, one of which was a big chance from which he scored. As mentioned before, given Spain's vulnerability up the gut, the Swiss attackers make for decent picks too, but you have to be ready to hit it and quit it with them as they may not have long left in this competition, which doesn't mean they are bad picks. I also like the idea of hedging bets. We've just seen three upsets in the round of 16 and there's no reason why that can't happen again. Trying to pick teams who will advance may be a futile exercise. Picking the talisman from each team and spreading the risk is a wise approach. I think Seferovic is the go-to guy from Switzerland with Embolo and Shakiri also options. Embolo can be deployed wider or deeper at times, which is why I think Seferovic is a safer option. Seferovic is less adaptable than Embolo which makes him better for fantasy because he's the guy they're going to try and make chances for. Shaq on his day is just a magician but it's harder to predict when his returns are going to come. The second game on Friday sees Belgium take on Italy and it is really hard to recommend fantasy assets from this game. I think a lot depends on whether Kevin De Bruyne is fit and available because Belgium look like a different team with him. I think Lukaku is a world-class player who will cause the Italians problems, but Italy are the better team, albeit less experienced than the Belgians. And we saw the Italians struggle to deal with the pressure of a knockout game in the last round. Austria gave them a real scare with that Arnautovic goal that was ruled out for offside. I think if Belgium get the first goal, they may just shut up shop like they did versus Portugal and accede to the fact that Italy are the better team. Roberto Martinez does have previous for beating Mancini in a cup competition. They surely won the FA Cup for Dave Whelan, for Roberto Martinez. 
It's Wigan Athletics FA Cup. Yes, Wigan Athletic. I've had this gut feeling about Togan Hazard right from pre-tournament and what a goal it was. Some people may think that won't happen too often, but having scouted this player since his early days, I can assure you that shot was no coincidence. He has an incredibly clean striking technique. You can research how many goals he's got from outside the box yourself or just type in his name on YouTube. He also has this knack of ghosting in unmarked with a late run to the back post. He gets goals for Belgium like that. I think Munier is always likely to be among the points. On the off chance they keep a clean sheet, he's always doing attacking stuff. He tried an absolutely outrageous outside of the foot shot versus Portugal from 25 yards out that didn't come off and Lukaku wasn't best pleased about that. But it just gives you an insight into what goes on in that man's mind. Again, this goes back to hedging your bets. I've seen some very popular FPL accounts on Twitter be very down this week, saying they can't wait for FPL to start or whatever. I'm sorry to say this, but that is such loser mentality to me. If you've played any kind of sport at any kind of level, you know that defeat and loss is a part and parcel of the game. You can't detach that from the experience. For me, the upsets over the last week represent an opportunity. A story we agree to tell each other over and over till we forget that it's a lie. But what do we have left once we abandon the lie? Chaos. A gaping pit waiting to swallow us all. Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder. If you've just had a whole bunch of players eliminated like I have and don't have a wild card in hand, know that wildcarders could be in a similar position to us after this next round. We all had a wild card before the previous round, didn't we? Imagine if Italy get knocked out. So many wildcarders will probably hold on five Italians. Now you might say they still have an advantage, which is true, but this is where hedging against the expected result could be a very powerful tool for managers without a wild card. If you go for the same players as a wildcarder, there's nothing to be gained on them. And I do think there's more twists and turns to come in this game. All is not lost if you play what's in front of you. This applies to taking hits too. If you're taking hits just to get players wildcarders will have, then you're not going to beat them. This is game theory stuff and I understand template players could easily outscore your differential picks. But this has to be your last throw of the dice. To try and neutralize the advantage playing your wildcard at this stage gets you. Also, if you're taking hits, try and get in players who play across both days. So if someone blanks on day one, all is not lost. Conversely, if you're on wildcard, this may sound dumb, but I would consider spreading the risk if I were you too. This game has been about spreading risk from day one. On Saturday, Czech Republic take on Denmark in Baku. Denmark go into this as favourites. They've posted some primo underlying stats both in attack and defence. They have the second highest goal attempts and third highest XG created with just 4 big chances and the lowest goal attempts conceded all tournament. They are a really good team with a good manager and a good squad of players. If you still don't own Joachim Mahler, stop everything you're doing and first transfer him into your team. This guy is always up there when Denmark attack. And he's taking up great positions, getting touches in the box, getting shots. He's the Danish Denzel Dumfries.
if casper dolberg was certain to start i would have him in my team in a heartbeat i still might but just know that it is a risk with polson fighting with him for a spot there's no news on if polson's back from his gluteus injury yet lots of bum talk this tournament kind of unexpectedly with yaya tore talking about eden hazard's rump and how it helps him change direction at pace in an article the other day anyway back to dolberg he looked really good with his hold up play against rodon and mepim against wales the checks do have a soft underbelly dolberg's first goal was so well taken that shot from distance and with the confidence that might have given him i'm hoping hulman starts him even if polson's back the player to hedge with here has to be patrick shake who has four goals in the tournament you know he'll start and he isn't as involved as you'd like him to be on the eye test but he's a predator who stalks his prey he doesn't draw too much attention to himself and doesn't have a lot of touches in the game he won't go deep looking for the ball or look to get involved in the build up play but his runs in the box are always there and if the checks can get a player someone like a sofal or a holesh time and space on the ball then bam you're dead which shake around he will find space with his movement and we know he's a clinical marksman the last game of the quarters sees ukraine play england with the english overwhelming favorites now to reach the final i think the english defense is ripe for investment given how conservatively they play the way the english play isn't pretty but it's efficient and has been getting the job done so far this tournament shaw is my favorite pick there's some risk of rotation but at this point i would just go with him the attackers sterling grealish kane are all good for returns and probably worth getting in just because of the games they may have yet to play but their ceiling per game isn't very high i don't think even if ukraine go 1-0 down i don't expect them to open up and throw everything at england a 1-0 england win seems like the most likely outcome for ukraine zinchenko is back on my fantasy radar given how conservatively england play it wouldn't be unimaginable to see them clean although it is unlikely The switch to 3-4-3 has really helped Zinchenko in an attacking sense. It's kind of liberated him to get forward more and being on the wing allows him space to get crosses in which he can be deadly with as we saw in the game versus Sweden where he set up the winning goal. All right, talking captains on day 1 a Spanish player seems the best bet, one of Sarabia, Torres or Morata. It's harder to pick from the second game but that doesn't mean it's wrong or ridiculous to pick from it. Day 2, I think Mali is sorry, Mala. I don't know, is it Mala, Mali? If a Danish listener is listening to this, please get in touch with me and tell me how to pronounce his name. I'm sorry if I've been messing it up this whole time. Uh anyway, Joachim Mala, Joachim uh from Denmark. Uh I think he's an interesting shout on day 2. and then uh, you have the english so one of sterling kane or shaw would be my pick if you wanted to pick from that game that's it for this week's episode ladies and gents i hope you enjoyed listening to me ramble on like i do if you like this please help me grow by liking sharing and putting the word out about this podcast until next time this is your host anshuman signing off mm-hmm.